0: Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being with me here today. It is Monday, June the 1st. Hope you all enjoyed hearing John Keene take a bit of a deeper dive into the Kamloops sports scene during this time last week while I filled in on the morning show. It was a great week. I had a ton of fun, but I won't complain about moving back to the noon hour, getting a little bit more sleep already this week. Got a good show lined up for you here today in about 20 minutes. I will be joined by Acumen Law's Paul Doroshenko. He fills in for my usual guest, Kyla Lee. We're going to be chatting a little bit about the situation in the U.S. and what people who are participating in riots and protests and looting, what can They expect as things kind of play out a little bit. And we'll also be chatting about new ruling from the BC court that says driving with a phone on your lap is distracted driving. And at the end of the hour, I'm going to be joined by Iglika Ivanova with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. We're going to talk a little bit about minimum wage. As yes, minimum wage goes up today in BC, rising 75 cents an hour to $14.60. But to begin today's show, well, today marks the reopening of the BC Wildlife Park. And joining me now on the phone is the park's general manager glenn grant glenn thank you so much for taking the time hey it's my pleasure
2: thanks for uh thanks for having me on
1: yeah so today june 1st day one of the park reopening after having of course shut down for a little bit during this whole COVID 19 pandemic and just to start you know how has activity been here today how exciting were people or how excited were people excuse me uh to get into the park when the doors opened at 9 30 this morning
2: you know what? It was uh, we had a lineup again uh, this morning, which was uh, really reassuring and uh, quite uh, quite nice to see. And there's been a steady stream of traffic uh, throughout the morning, which uh, which is also nice. Uh, so we're, we're we're quite pleased to be be open again and welcome our guests back. And I'm sure the animals are just as happy to see the people as they are to see them
1: yeah i'm sure they are and uh yeah but probably a bit lonely for the last uh, couple of months for some of those (laughs) animals right looking for a little bit of human contact and just not seeing it um for those who are attending here today i guess you know how do things look how how is things a little bit different compared to how they would normally look on a you know this time last year of course things would have been operating at full go no no issues but things i'm sure are a little bit different here today
2: Yes, they certainly are a little bit different. Uh, the, the main thing that people are going to see is an awful lot of signage around the park uh, to take, to stay uh, an eagle span uh, away from each other. It's uh, two meters. Uh, our Some of our amenities are closed, uh, such as the playground and Splash Park. Uh, the miniature trains not operating right now. Uh, those are things that we're working on, uh, volcanoes amenities. Uh, our food service is takeout only, so you will see... Uh, a difference there uh, to uh, take your food outside and enjoy it on a, in a picnic table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we restricted the guests as they're leaving the park to 15 inside our gift shop just to uh, make sure that we can keep up with some physical distancing. But uh, uh, those are the main things that people are going to see different uh, uh, from their visit. But the animals are all out and about and in their habitats and uh, uh, quite active today
1: awesome so uh before we sort of take a a little bit more of a look forward and what we can expect here over the course of the summer for the bc wildlife park i just wanted to ask a little bit about the last you know two two and a half months and how they have gone i I imagine it has been a bit of a challenge here for you guys over the last little while um to, to probably even stay motivated when you're not accepting visitors into the park but just how how have things gone here in order to you know take care of the animals that are at the wildlife park have things gone fairly well for the most part for you
2: you know what? For the most part, they absolutely have gone uh, have gone well, and that's thanks to all, to our community and all the support that we received uh, uh, throughout uh, the time that we were closed. We we're closed for ten weeks, uh, which is a major stretch uh, of, of uh, visitation that we lost, and uh, some of the early bus tour traffic that normally would be traveling uh, through the region right now that we've lost. But uh, but overall, uh, we're we're doing we're doing well. Uh, and uh, and that again, that's that's thanks to our community for all the support that they've given us.
1: Yeah, and, and talking a little bit more specifically maybe about some of the support you have received here over the last little while, and, and one reason I wanted to bring it up is because I know we here at Enel did a story, uh, I can't remember exactly when, I think it was about a month ago, talking about this uh, 12-year-old Gabby Armstrong, her 10-year-old brother Dimitri, they put together this bottle drive to raise $2,000 for the BC Wildlife Park, something that's pretty awesome in my opinion for, for people of age you know, 12 and 10 to, to take part in and, and start raising some money, they they uh, you know smashed their goal of that $2,000 to be able to help you guys and you know that's just one i'm sure of uh, several other types of fundraising campaigns that have happened here over that you know 10 week span that you guys were closed just how awesome was it for you guys to see that outpouring that you got from the community
2: uh it, it was uh it was amazingly uh, wonderful uh and and the, t- the two kids uh they raised over ten thousand dollars uh and they're still collecting a few they don't have a new goal uh we did welcome them to the park for a little walk around uh last week to uh, uh to show our appreciation for what they've done uh so there but it's been a, a business community as well uh, new gold has uh, donated a, a, a substantial amount of money fifteen thousand dollars Um Kemp Concrete, uh, you know, had a large donation. Halston Esso, uh Prestige Monitoring, uh, the Horse Barn, uh, just to name a few. That I, I could I could talk to you for a half an hour of all the <laughs> wonderful support that uh, that we had, uh, or and and still receiving. Uh, then there was some local uh, folks that instead of uh, making a donation, they they started a fundraising campaign of their own on. Uh, GoFundMe go fund me or through something through Canada helps. Uh, so yeah the the, uh, uh, the support that we received from uh, from the city has been uh is, has been extremely overwhelming and uh and, and very pleasant to see
1: uh here with the general manager of the bc wildlife park glenn grant now glenn of course you know with all this financial support great stuff but just how is the park looking financially right now i mean are you guys feeling like you're in a pretty good position here moving forward into the summer now that you can start to bring some guests back into the facility
2: well i think we're in a in, in a better position than i had anticipated us being in um Really, we've uh, with losing uh, all of the guests that we did through that 10-week period, uh, we haven't we haven't recovered the revenue in which we uh, didn't see. Uh, But we're we're definitely in a in a in a good position right now. Uh, The animals are well cared for. The animals uh, have uh, uh, lots of support uh, from the staff. Um, So we're we're. We're in a good position, uh, better than what I anticipated us being uh, at this point. So it's encouraging uh, for for everybody.
1: Now, with that being said, of course, you know, most of your, I'm sure you're looking for a lot more guests to start coming through in order to get some of that revenue back uh, and start flowing once again. I know the BC Wildlife Park is a place that, you know, did get a lot of international visitors, right? When people would roll through Kamloops, they'd take some time to go visit the wildlife park, check out what's going on, see the animals. Uh, You know, a great little thing for someone to do when they're just making a quick stop here through Camloops. probably not going to get many of those visitors here this summer so with that being said I mean how important do you think it is to make sure we're getting a lot more local visits and and do you expect a lot more I would imagine with people you know planning their vacation staying close to home the BC Wildlife Park would be something would be an activity that could be on the list for things to do.
2: I absolutely think uh, that we will get a lot more local support or a lot, a lot more local visitations uh, than we normally would. Again, a lot of our, a lot of our residents here uh, want to take off and go elsewhere through the summer, uh, whether it be to a lake or uh, or, or traveling internationally. Um, so I think a lot of those folks are going to be staying at home. Uh, I know Tourism Counts is doing uh, a wonderful program right now of uh, encouraging people to get out and support. Uh, all the local tourist attractions. Uh, TOTA, the thompson Okanagan Tourism Association, is also doing a program of uh, staycations. Uh, I do think we're going to see an awful lot of uh, uh, one-, two-, three-day trips. Uh, those folks from the lower mainland that are looking for something um, to do that aren't uh, traveling abroad or traveling down to the United States, they'll, dr- they'll drive up into the interior and, and get to see a lot of wonderful things that are up here uh, besides the park.
1: Awesome stuff, Glenn, and uh, last question here for you. You know, if people are planning to make a trip to the BC Wildlife Park uh, here at some point over the course of the summer, you know, if someone who has been coming maybe on a annual basis, maybe they come once a year during the, the summer at some point, is there anything new that they would see this year that they wouldn't have seen last year?
2: Well, one interesting thing that uh, has been was posted out uh, earlier uh, this weekend and, and earlier this morning is we introduced a uh, a black bear to clover. Uh, so now you're, uh, clover has a clover has a playmate. Uh, I know right now they're, they're still, uh, being watched very closely as they interact with each other, but it would be great to see something, uh, to see a couple of bears like that interact. So you can really get to see the contrast of, uh, of a white Kermode bear and, uh, and, and a black bear, uh, in, in the same habitat. So that, that's something wonderful. I think a lot of the locals will really enjoy uh, to see that as well.
1: Very cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Glenn. Really do appreciate it. And glad to see you guys are able to reopen here today. And uh, you cool. know, people can start planning their trips to go visit the wildlife park. So thanks yeah. so much.
2: Well, my pleasure. And thank you very much for
1: calling. Yeah, Have a good day. Yeah, you as well. That's uh, Glenn Grant, general manager of the BC Wildlife Park here in Kamloops. Yeah, officially open today, and as of uh, 9.30 this morning, the gates opened once again for visitors, and uh, from what Glenn was saying there, it sounds like they got a, a pretty good crew who were anticipating and eagerly awaiting their chance to get back into the park and see what was going on there, and so that's a good start here today on Monday, and we'll see if that uh, momentum can continue here into the future. All right, well, let's take a quick break here. Going to be chatting with Acumen Law's Paul Doroshenko after the break. We're going to be talking a little bit about, uh, you know, what we're seeing in the States when it comes to protests and riots and how, you know, we can maybe learn from what happened in Vancouver in 2011 after that Canucks loss to the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup final. Is there any lessons that can be learned there? We'll be chatting a little bit about that after this, so please stick around and more Jeff Andrea show will be coming up soon.
0: voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas.
1: Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for being with me here on Monday, June the 1st. It's good to be back here in the noon hour spot after spending last week filling in on the NL morning news. Had a great week, but nice to be back here at 12.00. Noon. All right, so uh, now joining me, it's usually Kyla Lee in this spot, but she has uh, some other obligations here today. So joining me now is Acumen Law's Paul Doroshenko. Paul, how are you doing this afternoon?
0: I'm very well, Jeff. It's so nice to talk to you.
1: Yeah, it's been a while. Did, I'm uh, glad to have you, you know, on.
0: Did you know it's Say Something Nice Day?
1: Oh, it is? Um, well, I, I will first. tell you that I just flipped uh, your Acumen Law calendar over to the month of June, and you and Kyla are looking fantastic in those pride colors. So there you go. That,
0: Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into it here. Now, uh, distracted driving, of course, is is something that Kyla and I often talk about. And, you know, there was a new decision here talking about uh, keeping your cell phone in your lap while driving amounts to distracted driving. And in this particular case that we're talking about, it relates back to uh, a situation in March of last year where a man uh, in the Greater Victoria area uh, was caught looking down while driving and an officer stopped him, approached the vehicle and spotted the man's phone on his right lap connected to a charging But it was underneath, right? It was pinned between his thigh and the seat. And this is now considered distracted driving, correct?
0: Well, yeah, and the interesting thing is, I mean, we had this previous decision that came out of Victoria. Uh, this one is from February, and it was uh, a judicial justice. And in that circumstance, the person had the phone sitting either on their lap or beside them on their seat, connected to their car. Uh, and in that case, the judicial justice looked at it and said, well, that's not holding, because holding really implies that you've, you're, you know, you've, you've either got it in your hand or you're, you're doing some act to hold it. Um, and then we have this decision that just came from last week. And of course, this is a, a BC Supreme Court decision, so it's a much more you know this is this is the the authority in the end. And in this case, the individual had the phone pinned underneath their leg, something I used to do all the time back when we had car to go here, <laughs> pinned underneath his leg as he was driving. Uh, and the um and the justice in this case came to the conclusion, well, that is holding it. You know, that is the the really falls under the definition of a person holding their phone.
1: Was that a a surprise ruling for you? Were you like a little bit taken aback when you when you saw that ruling? Because it's like you said, it's not holding your phone. And that's really what we're talking about.
0: Well, the funny thing is, of course, Kyla Lee argues so many of these decisions in, uh, in B.C. Provincial Court and also argues the appeals, and she and I have been arguing about this for the longest time. Uh, and I disagreed with the earlier decision where it was on the lap uh, or beside them in the seat, although I, you know, I don't think the legislation is that clear with respect to beside them on the seat. I think this case really does clarify it because this is now the law. Uh, if you've got it in your cup holder... That's acceptable. You know, you're not using it. If you've got it in a mount and you're not using it by, like, looking at it or something like that, that's also acceptable. But pinned underneath your leg, uh, you know, what are you doing? You're holding it there. You're holding it on, on, against your seat, using your leg to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I think if you're holding it in your lap, you know, you're holding it.
1: Well, and I think, personally, when I I, I don't want to admit to doing something like this, but, you know, I've seen people driving around with their phone on their lap, and, you know, it seems like you might have it in a secure place, but then, you know, you have to hit the brakes really quickly, and then all of a sudden your phone ends up on the ground, and then you're fishing around with it, trying to find it with your hand while you're trying to watch the road. I mean, there's a lot of things that can go wrong if, if you're putting yourself in this situation.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, the issue is really, like, the intent of the legislation, I think most of us know, uh, it's whether or not it's it's described in a manner that actually you know meets real life circumstances, and I think you know the intention of the government to say hold uh, included that included that hold in your lap, and so I, I think this is actually probably uh, more consistent with what most people would think would be common sense, uh, and it's a you know it's a reasonable interpretation of the legislation. It is much greater clarity in the law than the previous version where it was, you know, the, the, uh, JJP in the, in the previous case said, well, you know, I'm not sure if it was on the seat beside this person or on their lap, but in either case, I would conclude that that doesn't, uh, constitute holding. I don't think most people would agree with that. I mean, it's, it's certainly not the intention of the legislation and really, uh, the idea here is to protect us from people using the device and to discourage us from using the device. So So this makes more sense to me. Yeah, so with
1: that, you know, making more sense to you, what, I guess, is the advice then that you would give to people when they're driving? Is it essentially just, you know, don't have your phone anywhere near you, and if you have to have it near you, put it in the cup holder?
0: Well, I mean, uh, here's the issue. Uh, Now we're saying don't hold it. Can you hold it in your pocket? Can you hold it in your shirt pocket? Uh, That's where the ambiguity now lies. Uh, I would say, you know, if you've got it in your cup holder uh, and you're not using it, of course it's. It's acceptable. We we know that now. If you've got it in a mount, and again, you're not looking at the screen, uh, then that's acceptable because, of course, we have using and holding. Uh, But don't have it on your person, I think, unless you've got it in a pocket. Uh, And that's probably, you know, a pocket can be a problem, too. If it's in your pants pocket, I don't think anybody's going to take any issue with it because you can't readily uh, access it. If you've got it in your shirt pocket, you may be in a situation where you have to testify about how you weren't holding it uh, and you don't want to find yourself in that situation of getting that ticket in the first place because it's a big hit. It's for demerits. There's driver risk premium. Your insurance goes up and you can get a driving prohibition from it. So, you know, I, I would discourage the shirt pocket. Uh, I would yeah. encourage the pant pocket uh, or a, a proper mount.
1: And I imagine when you're trying to defend some of these cases, it's really a lot of he said, she said, and, and maybe not the most easy thing to try to, to prove, right? Where Where someone was necessarily holding a device
0: well yeah there's almost always a conflict between what the police officer says and what the individual says the police officers conduct hundreds of these investigations some officers take photographs they just walk up and take a picture uh, of people but when there's a dispute about where it is uh, and the uh, and the justice has to resolve that dispute that comes down to a, a credibility contest and um, for the most part I would tell you the sense you get from the court is that they would prefer not to have that credibility contest they prefer to accept everybody's evidence and then say this is what uh this is what the law is that applies and that seems to be that earlier decision that's the way it was resolved um this new case is a you know the judge makes a finding of fact that the fellow had it pinned underneath his leg uh and that in in this circumstance you know constituted holding and and it's but there's always an issue of you know what happened Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a forensic analysis right that takes place right there in court, and it's tough for for any any person who's hearing that, any a uh, judge or a justice, uh, to make those determinations, uh, you know, assessing credibility.
1: All right, I think that's about all I had on that here right now, Paul. But I did want to ask a little bit about what is going on in the United States. I'll just ask you first and foremost as a person. I mean, when you're looking at these uh, scenes that are happening south of the border, I'm not really personally overly surprised by the reaction that is now really unfolding in the waves that we're seeing across the United States in terms of the protests, in terms of the riots. Um, You know, I was a little bit taken aback when I first saw the stuff that was happening out of Minnesota. um, but as this kind of whole thing has played out, I'm I'm not really shocked because it seems like this was something that had been mounting for probably decades here, and it's finally happening. Um, so I just wanted to get first your just your thoughts on this whole thing as a human being when you're watching this. You know, are, are you are you shocked at some of the images that you're seeing, or are you maybe of the line that you know this is something that has been a long time coming?
0: Well, I, you know, I I never feel that this method of getting your your Voice heard is necessarily the appropriate or correct message, but like it's we're talking 130 years after the U.S. Civil War. Um, If you're in the states and you travel down there a lot, you you get the sense fairly clearly in a lot of areas that uh, you know African American people, black people, are still in the service industry jobs. Uh, You're being served by them. Uh, It's uh, it's basically uh, two different classes there. Uh, I don't think that's the attitude of a lot of people, but it's still uh, an ongoing situation. And then when you see these, um, you know, black men being killed by police officers, uh, treated completely different by police officers, it's completely understandable. 130 years, I'm sorry, like this is a, enough time has gone by uh, that at this point it should be fair. And it's just not you don't see black people in in management positions you don't see them uh, many as heads of corporations it's just not representative uh for the percentage of the population so is the anger uh there uh yes is it justified yes um when you see someone uh, murdered after you know calling out having somebody's knee on his neck and him calling out saying i can't breathe you know, numerous times and and then dying from asphyxiation. Should you be angry? Yes. And can you blame people for being angry? Absolutely not. Uh, of course, then we get to the next step, which is, you know, people go out and protest in the streets and, and they're doing it in a pandemic so they're standing shoulder to shoulder um the african american community has certainly suffered more from covid-19 that's been borne out by statistics already uh and then you're out there putting yourself at risk of covid-19 while you're protesting and of course then there's always some people who take it too far uh you know when we see a police station um you know, lit on fire, uh, and people will die in the protests. You know, people will die in the protests. It's already happened. Um, it's uh, you know, it's very upsetting to watch. I, I, I travel to the U.S. probably two or three times a year, mostly for conferences. Um, and um, you know, you you get to you get to love the cities and love the 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 uh, locations and and care for the people, and you can imagine the stress that they're going under, and and that this is happening every day. Uh, and you know there there's agitators out there. It's clear that there's some people who are um, you know not part of the uh the protest against the 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 death of this individual uh they're just out there to be jerks and that's unfortunate.
1: Well, okay, that, that actually is a nice way to segue into my question here in regards to the legal ramifications here for a lot of these people who are participating in these protests and really the riots, right? And you're someone who, who defended several people in regards to the 2011 Vancouver riot that we saw after the Stanley Cup final when uh, the Canucks lost to the Bruins, and we all are well aware, I think, of, of what happened in the city of Vancouver that day. What What can you take from that and from your experience with what happened in Vancouver to try to You know, anticipate what might happen to some of these people here uh, who are taking place in these riots across the United States. Um, You know, it's pretty evident, I think, from what you were speaking to me earlier about before we jumped on the phone here, that, uh, you know, most people are probably going to get hit with some kind of charges in relation to this.
0: Well, that's the thing. I, I mean, I'm on social media. I'm looking at it on Twitter, and I, I you can see that there's video of people running out of stores carrying stuff. Uh, we didn't have that 25 years ago. There wasn't video like this. So riots that took place prior to that time, there wasn't that kind of evidence. But when it came to the Stanley Cup riots, there was tons and tons and tons of video, and the police were able to identify those individuals. It's amazing. You know, there's always some police officers who just recognize somebody. The police are looking at it themselves, and Some police officers are really, really good at recognizing somebody. I pulled that guy over for speeding a month ago, and they remember them. Uh, And that will happen. You know, police will be in in all those different jurisdictions will be going over for the longest time uh, investigating who committed what criminal offenses. Uh, And you've seen they've already arrested someone uh, with respect to uh, an attempt to to light the historic Nashville courthouse on fire. Uh, And he wasn't an African-American guy. He appears to have been a uh, um, sort of a a young skinhead type. Uh, And uh, he's already been arrested. And we will see arrests going on for the longest time. And I will tell you, the one thing that, that uh, our courts in Canada, courts in the United States, courts in, in um, the UK uh, take very seriously is people who participate in riots. And in the Stanley Cup riots, it wasn't a political riot, so it might be a little bit, uh, a little bit different view on it. But almost everybody who was charged ended up serving a jail sentence. I think there was only one acquittal because they have video mm-hmm. uh and uh all but uh, one case that i recall just off the top of my head people got a sort of a minimum uh even good kids with no criminal records ended up with a criminal record for participating in a riot uh and got you know sort of the starting point was 90 days in jail so one can imagine in the u.s context where jail you can typically you know when we see it on tv you can you can triple the time that you would serve in canada mm-hmm. uh, that a lot of people are going to be going to jail for a long long time <clears throat> for participating in these riots and you know you you what what are they doing they're running yeah. into a store and carrying out three uh, uh three sweatshirts <laughs> um you know uh, and now they're going to go to jail and yeah. it's it's, it's terrible. Uh, there's been lots of really good study, uh, social science research on group behavior and how people behave in these circumstances. Uh, there's always some people who are out there, you know, generally that's they're just out there to, to do harm uh, and they view this as their opportunity to do harm. I think it's a little bit different right now in the COVID Nineteen world because it seems people have sort of come to the conclusion that they might be forgiven a little bit more, uh, and I think that's the, the the thing that we're seeing with so much speeding right now. So lots of people are getting caught for excessive speed. You can read about it; it's all over the world. Uh, it's you know you hear about it in the UK and uh, and the US, and of course we've had our notable cases here in British Columbia. And it's people seem to think that well they'll just be forgiven because it's COVID nineteen. Right. Uh, And I suspect that that's playing in to what's going on at the States, which is adding to why we have this night after night after night.
1: Well, Paul, uh, unfortunately, we are out of time here. We didn't even get to our issue with the whole uh, New Brunswick doctor, and and we wanted to talk more about that. So maybe we can find some time later in the week to uh, revisit that chat. But uh, really appreciate you taking the time, stepping in for Kyla. And, uh, yeah, like I said, maybe we'll we'll find some time here soon to uh, go over a few topics that we didn't have a chance to get to here.
0: It's my pleasure. Have a very good day.
1: You as well. That's Acumen Law's Paul Doroshenko. And, uh, yeah, some real good stuff there. Thanks so much, Paul. Appreciate you taking the time. All right. Well, you do have to take a quick break here. But coming up, minimum wage went up today to $14.60 an hour. I'm going to be joined by Iglika Ivanova with the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives after this. So stick around.
0: Your Opinion.
1: all right welcome back to the jeff andrea show thanks for being with me here on monday it is june 1st and that means today marks the increase to minimum wage here in british columbia it's going up by 75 cents an hour to fourteen dollars and sixty cents i'm joined on the line now by senior economist and public interest researcher with the canadian center for policy alternatives bc office Aglika ivanova Aglika, how are you doing this afternoon i'm doing great thanks hey thanks so much for taking the time i really appreciate it so CCPA has long called for a $15 minimum wage. Even with today's increase, it only goes up to $14.60 an hour. I guess just first of all, I mean, reaction to that number, it's still probably not quite enough, given that you're calling for $15 uh, an hour. I'm guessing $14.60. I mean, it's a nice, nice jump today by 75 cents, but not quite enough.
3: That's exactly it. We're very happy to see today's scheduled increase proceed. You know, there have been some calls to postpone it given the challenges of the pandemic um, for some businesses. Um, However, I'm really happy to see that the provincial government decided to go ahead with the increase uh, as it was scheduled to proceed. And, uh, and that's good, but at the same time, 40 and 60 is not uh, that much. And we know that British Columbia is a very expensive province to live in, and even more so now during the pandemic. So I, I do think it's worth thinking about just how much um, a person can earn on, on the new minimum wage. And, and one of the things I find striking is that even with the increase, A minimum wage worker has to work 35 hours in a week to earn what the Canada Emergency Relief Benefit or CERB pays for a week to an unemployed worker. So we're still looking at um, minimum wages that just barely get you to some minimum basic standard of living and I think that people working full time should not just barely get to a minimum. They should earn well above the minimum and be able to
1: um, you know, uh, get their families out of poverty. So with this rise today to $14.60 an hour, I mean, how does this compare, I guess, to other places in Canada? I know there has been some province. I think one province is up to $15 an hour. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I mean, BZ seems to be, at least climbing the ranks in terms of the minimum wage, but still not quite where you guys would like to see them. Just how does BC compare to the rest of the country, and particularly, like you mentioned, as a, as a province that is probably a little bit more expensive to live in than others?
3: Um, yeah, this is a very good point. Uh, BC is uh, now the second highest minimum wage in the country, and uh, you're right that exactly one province is at 15, and that's neighborhood, uh, neighboring Alberta. So Alberta got to 15 a few years ago, uh, and they have stayed there since then. And then BC is second at 1460. But, you know, cost of living, especially housing, are uh, very expensive in BC. And I think it's important to keep those increases. BC has a scheduled increase for next June to go to $15.20. Um, and even that would not be a living wage in most parts of the province
1: yeah so i guess what what is the ideal figure do you have a, a an ideal number that uh, the ccpa would like to see this get up to obviously i mean we're just going to go with the scheduled increases for now happy to see it go up to to 1460 today and then 1520 this time next year but what is the number you guys would like to see it at
3: i think it's important to have a conversation about the principle behind the minimum wage and uh and think about what is it that we're trying to achieve so if you think about the point here is that someone working full-time should not be living in poverty, then it should be a number that, you know, a reasonable full-time hours gets you above that. And uh, and currently, you know, Statistics Canada is going through a revision of the way we measure poverty, the market bucket measure, and coming up with numbers that are much higher than what they used to have. So we are going to have to, $15 was, was based on previous um, sort of measures of poverty but now that our understanding of what poverty is is changing it would have to be higher
1: that makes a heck of a lot of sense to me Anglica well thank you so much for your time here today really appreciate it and we'll do it again soon Thank you. Awesome. That's Iglika Ivanova, Senior Economist and Public Interest Researcher with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives and their BC office. Well, on that note, it's about time for me to wrap things up here. So I would like to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you joined me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, and I'll be back here tomorrow at noon.